So it's no secret that there are so many clubs out there looking for coaches, admin, support staff, you name it. And there's so many great coaches out there and support staff and admin professionals just looking for a home. And trying to make that matchup feels pretty impossible. And I'm just trying to see if there's any way that I can make it a little more possible. So if you are a club owner looking for any type of staff, please reach out to me at nlangevinpro at gmail.com. Again, that's nlangevinpro at gmail.com. And I can share with you some of the ways that I'm trying to help clubs and staff find each other. Are you subscribed to the show's YouTube channel? Because if you're not, I think you should get on there and do it. You want to know why? Here's why. Because once those subscription numbers go up, I've got some little plans for you. So go ahead to youtube.com forward slash what makes you think podcast, subscribe to the show and get ready to binge. Check out the gymnastics conversations playlist first. And then from there, you can see a playlist for each guest that's been on the show. So you can see the videos and know what the heck we were talking about. So go to youtube.com forward slash what makes you think podcast. The biggest thing that happened to me that became a huge stressor is that I had been Simone Biles coach. And therefore, everybody thought that I could turn their child into Simone Biles. Hey, guys, and welcome to a very special full episode of What Makes You Think, the show that flips the traditional interview format, showing you a unique and hopefully funny side to some of your favorite figures in gymnastics. Don't worry, we get to some real stuff, too. And I'm so excited. Can you tell? It's a special episode because it's the 50th episode. We did it. And my guest today is also very special. She's someone that I have personally admired for a long time, and I know that I'm not alone in that sentiment. She has shown the world that athletes can be coached to their fullest potential through kindness, respect, and a focus on longevity. My guest today is the fabulous Amy Borman. I am here with the CEO of the Borman household, Miss Amy Borman. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming, but as we discussed before we recorded, persistence pays off because I kind of hounded you a little bit. So <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it's all good. Sometimes you just have to keep dropping in my inbox. Yep. Yep. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three different quotes and I want to see number one, if you can tell me who said it and oh, number two <laughs> and number two, we would love to hear the backstory as much as you're willing to share. Are you ready? Sure. We're just going to do it. We're just going to do, do it. All right, here we go. There's no one I'd rather be stuck in a cab in China with. Who said that to you? Oh. Who said that about you? I would say Scott Bregman. And I would say you're right. Yay! <laughs> See, you're already winning. <laughs> All right, you ready for the next one? Yep. I, I feel weird saying this, but <laughs> this is what they gave me. So here we go. You like to sit by the refrigerator with two bags of frozen meat. Oh my goodness. That's Jason Collins. <laughs> you were either going to look at me like a lunatic or you were going to know exactly that that was Jason. Exactly. And yes, it was. Wait, I'm doing better than I thought. You're, you're killing it. All right. Okay. The last one. When I was working with her on beam, I was doing side aerials, which is a mentally tough skill for me. I said to her, the beam is four inches wide. Why not enjoy it? It's better than three. Does that quote sound familiar? Yeah, that would be Victoria. 
Very good, Victoria. She, <laughs> she is a wonderful level 10 from North Carolina. And uh, just just being able to contribute a quote to this was really meaningful to her. Almost as meaningful as the time that you worked with her. So thank you for that. Now, Absolutely. can we go back to this frozen meat thing? Like, is that even something you can talk about? I, I don't know. I got no explanation. I just got a quote. Okay, so it's a it's a little side story. Jason was over at my house, and um, I had gotten some Italian beef delivered me to me from uh, Vienna Beef, mm-hmm. and um, so they were in the freezer and they were frozen. And I don't remember exactly what happened in the house, but Jason and I were laughing hysterically so much that I was holding the two bags of meat and I fell on the floor because I was laughing so hard. But I didn't drop the meat. I kept the frozen meat in my hands. So that was the. It was definitely one of those you had to be there moments, but did. <laughs> but it's a testament to you're probably a great spotter. Yeah, didn't drop the meat. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and what about this China thing? You're stuck in a cab in China with with Scott Bregman. Uh, let me yeah, try that so- again. <clears throat> Scott Bregman. Scott Bregman. Um, so it was really the first time that um, Scott and I really spent a lot of time together. Uh, I had a lot of trouble getting on the time zone when I was on China. Like I would wake up at two in the morning every morning and then was exhausted by the evening. So one night um, I just decided that I would go out and get something to eat. There was a dim sum restaurant attached to the hotel. So I went down there and, um, you know, some of the media staff for USAG was in there and we just hung out with them and we went out to karaoke and we were in a cab after karaoke and it was pretty hilarious racing the other cab of people that was with us and that evening was when i got back on the time zone because we stayed out until five in the Uh, morning we didn't have training in the morning but um so we stayed out till five in the morning and then i slept late and then suddenly i got on the time zone so look at that um, yeah there's a lot of little inside stories in there but they're probably not PG rated. So we'll just keep them to ourselves. <laughs> maybe, maybe when you come back for your mini sode, we can do that. Maybe put not. a little rating on there. <laughs> All right. So Amy, I have to ask you, cause I know you've never heard this question before. When you first saw Simone Biles walk into that gym. <laughs> <laughs> never heard that one before. <laughs> Tell me what you thought when you first saw Simone. Well, the reality is, is that my mom was the one that spotted her in the gym. You know, everybody knows the story. She was in daycare and they had a field trip and it was canceled. So they ended up at Bannon's Gymnastics, which is where I worked. So uh, my mom was actually doing the day camp and my mom spotted her because I think she just started doing back handsprings on the trampoline. And she was just this itty bitty thing. And she said, oh, where do you take gymnastics? And Simone said, I don't. I've never done gymnastics before. So that's really where the whole thing started. Mm-hmm. And then um, fast forward to, you know, Simone decided to come and take classes and she was in my mom's class. And I think, I'm not sure if I actually saw her when she was in my mom's class or she was taking a second class, but I walked past her and I just saw this, you know, little ball of muscle. And she um, was sitting, you know, on her bottom and just pushed up through like a, through a prone position. So she went from like a pike sit to a prone position without touching her feet. Oh, that's not normal. It definitely caught my eye. And so I went to my mom and I was like, mom, have you seen this kid in the gym? And she's like, that's the girl I was telling you about, Amy. And I was like, okay, now it all makes sense. But really, when my mom came over the first time, I blew her off. I was like, mom, I'm coaching. I don't have time for this. And I completely blew her off. And then I thought that I saw this like 
this gem in the gym. And my mom was like, no, that was the one you blew me off for. <laughs> okay. So we got to give, we got to give mama credit for that. Absolutely. One. <laughs> yep. Who discovered Simone? My mom. <laughs> What's your mom's name? Ronnie. Good job, Ronnie. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I tell her story all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. So you and I have, have crossed paths kind of a few times. And one of the times we were at, I think American cup, after the meet hotel bar type situation. But I just remember you going, if one more person says, when you... <laughs> well, I want to say, just read any publication that's yeah. been printed in the last two years, you know, like when this whole thing first started ramping up. Because yeah. I know that everybody needs to write their own piece about it. Yeah. But it's kind of like, I don't know. It... it it gets redundant. And as a reader, I don't want to read it again. The same thing. So as yeah. a person, I don't want to tell it again, but I, I did it. For you. I know. I'm almost sorry that you did because I was That's kind okay. of doing it more for effect. But yes. the story, in all honesty, to the rest of the world will never get old. So thanks. Well, for and I, I think that only a couple of papers, you know, a couple of publications have actually printed what the story was. Mm -hmm. They they seem to print what they thought the story was, even though I tell them about my mom seeing her first. Yeah. So there was a, a side story. We were doing um, a news interview in Houston once right before the Olympics. And my mom and I were on and she was telling how she first discovered her and how, how basically she got chills when she saw her. Yeah. And, you know, we actually had a teary eyed moment and everything. And the cameraman wasn't rolling. He forgot to hit record. Like it was magic. On, you know how you always want to get somebody to cry, Oprah? You know, yeah, like yeah. it happened unintentionally and they weren't recording. <laughs> okay. Can you go get your mom and we'll we'll do it right now? <laughs> the cameraman was fired. <laughs> I bet. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you and you can't recreate that. No, no. That, we tried. Yeah. We told the story again, but it didn't it lacked the emotion. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well. You know, somebody's out of a job, but everybody's out of that right? guy and we miss out. <laughs> so your mom recognized talent. And does that have anything to do with you you being a gymnast when you were younger at, let me see if I can get this right, Lane Tech, Lakewood Tech, Lane Tech. Mm -hmm. Well, Lane Tech was my high school, but ah. I've already been doing gymnastics for eight years. Okay. Like, my mom got me into gymnastics. She didn't actually get me into gymnastics. She was a single mother and I needed a place to be while she was at work during the summer. So she put me in day camp at Potawatomi Park, which was right like a block from where we lived. So I was in just a regular, you know, Chicago Park District day camp. Mm -hmm. And we did gymnastics and, you know, I could do cartwheels and I don't even remember learning a back handspring. I guess I was just talented enough to do them. Mm -hmm. You know, whoever, I'm sure somebody taught it to me, but I don't recall it. Right. What I do recall was you know, at like seven years old, being the the gym show sensation because I could do 10 back handsprings in a row. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then I was in a, again, I was in a park district. We didn't have like real equipment. We had panel mats. We had a wooden lacquered beam, you know, yep. we had no padding on it. The mats were awful, that kind of thing. We had no bars. So all I learned how to do was floor and bars, but we only had I'm sorry, floor and beam, but we only had panel mats. So I only learned the floor routine back and forth, which okay. made it very interesting when we would go to competition because yep. I was completely lost. I didn't know what a floor pattern was. It was like, <laughs> stay awesome. on the blue mats. That yes. was the floor pattern. Yes. <laughs> who, who needs, who needs to get training on bars? Bars is super easy. Yeah, totally. Easy. Figure it out. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't do bars. Let's see. I started at Potawatomi when I was six. 
Uh And I didn't do bars until I was probably nine. Mm -hmm. So, and that's actually when I moved into like private gymnastics and I went to Lakeshore Academy and it was the only program in the city that was private. So there were clubs that were in the suburbs, but it was not, we didn't, I couldn't get to it. You know, I was too young to take public transportation at that time, like to go that far. And my mom couldn't drive me because she was working. Right. So we chose Lakeshore because I could take the bus to it. And so at nine, I was on public transportation, you know, like I'd walk myself home from school, have a snack, get my leotard on, go catch the bus, take public transportation, you know? Wow. Yeah. And then I stayed at Lakeshore until just before high school. And then um, I went to another club for a year and then I went to Lane Tech and competed for Lane Tech. All right. Cool. I think it's really interesting. And I don't know how, have you really talked about your gymnastics career very much? Or do you feel like the conversations are mostly about your coaching career? Well, I do um, in my book that's coming out hopefully soon. What's so, it called? What's it called? Yeah, Where do we get it? It's called Doing It Differently. Nice. Yes. Nice. So yeah, all of my backstory is in there and, you know, hopefully with some interesting anecdotes and. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. When yeah. does it come out? So, I, I don't have a date yet. Okay. <laughs> We're well, working you, on final edits of it, but I will definitely let you know. Yeah, let me know. And I, I don't know if it'll be before or by the time this airs. So today is May 13th and you'll probably be up by the end of the month. But if there's anything that, that comes up, send it over. I can put it in the show notes, even if it's, you know, after the episode's already up. But I'd love Excellent. to be able to support that for you. Excellent. Thank That's you. so cool. Yeah, definitely. So doing it differently. I love that title and I think I know exactly what you're talking about because in the intro, I actually said that you are somebody, I'm going to paraphrase my own intro right now, but that showed the world that you can help athletes achieve their greatest potential through kindness, respect, and a focus on longevity. Yes. Are you, are you cool with that intro? uh, Yes, I'm definitely cool with it. You know, I, I was told throughout the years that I would never be successful because I was too nice. And so I just decided that it wasn't worth success to not be nice. Like it was more important to me. And that stems from my gymnastics background and remembering how I felt and how I was treated as an athlete that, you know, I didn't have a lot of positive experiences coming up as an athlete. And I just remember like I, as a coach, don't ever want to make a child feel that way. Now I will be the first to admit I have not done everything perfectly, but I've tried to do my best to stay on that track and make sure that I'm aware of what a child is feeling based on what I've said. And I've tried to go back and apologize if I did something, you know, like if I'm able in retrospect to go like, yeah, maybe I was a little bit hard when I said that, or maybe they misunderstood what I said and I need to rephrase it to them because we know just chemically a child's brain is different than an adult's brain. So they're going to process information differently. Mm -hmm. And so whatever my intention was, didn't get communicated to the athlete properly. And so then it's my responsibility to jump over and be like, okay, I I see that your body language changed. I see that you're upset. Let me re let me explain that again, the way that what my intention was Mm -hmm. not perfect, but I'm willing to see my faults. That's perfect right there. And this this comes up on the show all the time. So people are probably sick of hearing me say it. But you don't have to be an asshole to get a kid to have straight legs and pointed toes, first of all. And second of all, anybody, any adult can scare a kid into doing anything because we're bigger and we're louder. And so therefore we can be scarier. That's not a skill. 
Right. Requires no training. So it's very, very easy to go that one way. But what you're talking about where you're and you're constantly thinking about the repercussions of what you're doing and analyzing, that is a skill. And that's a skill that is constantly being honed and constantly being improved. So thank you for sharing that. And the more people that can hear that over and over and over again, hopefully we'll start to see even more changes. So I have a, you know, a story that for some reason sticks with me in my coaching, an error that I made in my coaching mm-hmm. that I would like to share because I don't think I've ever shared it before, but for some reason, you know, how there are things you just forget. I've never yeah. forgotten this. So mm-hmm. my team wasn't great at handstands and I don't know why. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? What can I do to make this better? Yep. So, and this was as a team, I didn't have anybody who could hold a handstand for more than maybe 30 seconds. Yep. And I'm watching all of these other teams, you know, with their thing. And so I don't know if I got these drills from somebody else or if I came up with them on my own, but I started doing, okay, if you can't hold, if you can't get to this amount of time, then you're going to do um, against a springboard, you know, where mm-hmm. the, the springboard supports your wrists. Yep. And um, well, actually, no, first we went to the edge of the floor because edge of floor is a little lower. Okay. And, and so, okay, if that doesn't work, then we're going to go to a forearm. springboard. And then if that doesn't work, we're going to go to a high panel mat. So each time they're getting spotted higher and higher up their forearm. And then if they still couldn't do it, and it was a one minute hold total, then they had to go do a handstand hold against the wall, wall. which seems totally reasonable. What wasn't reasonable, and I didn't realize it at the time, is that I gave them a five minute handstand against the wall. And some clubs might be, and coaches be like, that's fine. What's the problem with that? Well, when I would see children sobbing upside down and not coming down, but sobbing. And I even had one athlete who would chew on her arm while she was in the handstand. She would turn her head and like chew on her shoulder because it hurt so much. And it was something like, imagine what a cutter does to right. relieve pain. Mm-hmm. It was the same kind of thing. And mm-hmm. once I saw that happening, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've got to find a different way. Like this isn't the right way. The athletes were doing it and were their handstands getting better? They were, they were getting stronger, but at what cost? At what cost? Right. You know, and so I had to figure out how to be smarter. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think there's, there's so much, it happens, it happens to me. It happens to almost everybody I've talked to that was a gymnast where you're, you're constantly kind of rifling through your past experiences as as an athlete and going all the things that were kind of filed under this is normal part of gymnastics and going maybe that needs to be in this folder over here maybe that wasn't normal because our lens is constantly shifting and we're learning and there are things that I go back to as a gymnast and as a coach and go huh I I'm, I'm in a totally different place and that looks very different right now than it did at the time. Right. Right. And, you know, I think it also goes to, um, illnesses, you know, the whole philosophy of when coaches say, well, they need to come to practice, even if they're sick. Well, what is going to happen if this is state, if this is nationals, if this is the Olympics and they're sick, what are they going to do? Just walk away? Yes. Maybe. Yes. They can do that. You know, maybe we teach them that taking care of yourself and your health is paramount to anything else you know like at a a level five that state meet might be feel like it's the most important thing in their lives and to that level five coach it might feel like it's the most important thing at the moment but the fact of the matter is is that this is this you know child's health and it's also teaching them how to be strong adults in saying i'm sick and it's okay that i'm sick 
because I need to take this time off. I need to stay in bed. I have a fever. Not to mention all the other stuff. If you bring a sick kid to the gym, everybody else gets sick. Yep, exactly. And <laughs> you then know, what stay you home. With? It's okay to stay home. You're not going to forget how to do gymnastics in one day. And if you are really sick at that big championship meet and you are so sick that you could get injured or make other people sick, then you don't go it's, because it's yeah. just gymnastics and the world is going to keep on turning. You know, I used to say this to my athletes all the time. Obviously, it's just gymnastics, but we're not curing cancer here. You know, if we were curing cancer, you might stick it out a little bit more, but this is just a sport and we should be getting all of the wonderful things out of the sport that we can, that are going to make us really great adults in the future mm -hmm. and really productive. And yep. thinking that we have to sacrifice our health to be good is not a message that I ever want to send to athletes that I'm training. Mm -hmm. I think there's also that message of, I believe you. And for, I think for the long term, and I, I'm speaking out of turn, you are the one that's actually done this, but to get an athlete or help an athlete and guide them through the elite level, regardless of, of where they end up, there's gotta be that trust there or it's just not gonna happen. Right. And if they're honestly faking that their ankle hurts or faking that their stomach hurts, then that's, there's something to that too. Well, yeah, and my question to you was going to be, so what? So what if they're lying? How does that affect you as a coach? Okay, maybe it is the best kid on the team, but there is some reason that they are lying about this. And it is not your job to force them through it or push them through it. It's simply not your job. Maybe you find out why they're faking it, find out what's behind it. You know, maybe it's a stress level, so they're finding whatever excuse. Like, let them be hurt. Let them be sick, you know? If they're faking, they're faking for a reason because they don't want to do it and it's just gymnastics. So they don't have to do it. You know, it's a sport they pay for. They don't have to do it. <laughs> they really don't. So figure it out, figure it out as a coach. You have to be smarter than the athlete. You don't have to bully the athlete. Oh, that was a great soundbite there. Thank you for that one. <laughs> You know, we talked, um, I think it was that same conversation and you had been asked, I believe it was it, after Rio, it might've been after, it was after something big, you know, the many gigantic things that have happened in your career. And you were talking to me about the fact that you had been asked to give a lecture at Congress about coaching with kindness or whatever. I think you and I had joked about the, do they just need to call it don't be an asshole? Yeah, that, that I remember us sitting, I remember yes. where we were sitting when we had that conversation. Yep. And it really struck me because you genuinely were like, I don't know, just don't be an asshole. Like you, you are <laughs> that's so- that's not an appropriate title for Congress. <laughs> Congress or is it? <laughs> or is it? <laughs> How to not but be an asshole. <laughs> it was so, it was so perfect because you, you really couldn't fathom any other way to do it. And that's why they asked you to do it. And that's why you are the perfect person to give that, that type of lecture. But I just, I loved it. You're like, I don't know. Don't be an I mean, clearly we can talk about this forever, but at the end of the day, yeah. It's what it is. It's what it is. <laughs> All right. So I read on Facebook recently that you got your brevet rating. Yes, I did. Yes. Just recently. So, so I've, I've done one um, elite qualifier and I've got another one coming up and um, judging the two classic meets and championships. So I'm nice. excited about that. 
All right. So what what brought you to that? Is it something you'd been thinking about for a long time and now yeah, you I've finally always, have a minute? Yeah, well, I've always wanted to do it. But in the U.S., well, every country gets to decide who they're going to send, mm -hmm. you know, to this testing. So the U.S. just I got invited basically from yep. the U.S. So I, I jumped on it, but I've been wanting to do it a long time. And, you know, I personally feel like every elite coach should be required to at least audit the course even if you don't yeah. aren't allowed to get a rating because you're not invited because mm -hmm. there's so much information in there like as an elite coach you know the code is constantly changing day yeah. to day it changes so it's really important that you're up on the rules and have that connection and i'm not saying that the elite coaches don't that they're not up on the rules because they absolutely are but when you're in a class like that you know mm -hmm. when you're getting that kind of education it just brings it to another level and yeah. so it kind of keeps it at the forefront of your brain as well. So right. even when I hadn't been invited, I wanted to audit it, but it wasn't yeah. an option. So you're enjoying it though? I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was a judge for I was a judge for 10 years mm -hmm. um, before Simone started doing Elite. And then it just, since I was gone so much for Elite and Camp and all that, I also couldn't be gone to judge. So I stopped yeah. judging and lost my rating, you know, then. Mm -hmm. But now I'm back in it. So you just mentioned the amount of time that you were gone when you were really, quote unquote, in it. And can you just kind of share that side of what it means to be a coach at the level that you're at? I know that we have a lot of listeners who who are coaches and who are aspiring elite coaches and who look at your career and others who have you know coached amazing athletes and, and gotten them to a very successful point. And it seems like a lot of glory and glitz because we go to championships and there's the cameras and the lights and this and that but could you share maybe the other side of what what really truly goes into that and how that affects your your life your family right so when i was doing elite the requirements for you know being in elite was that you had to go to camp you know you had to go to camp one week a month every month i mean there were many did you well <laughs> You were supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> there Actually, you go. <laughs> if you're a national team member and you're getting funding, you are required to go. So like, you know, I know the story that you're referring to, but we weren't on national team yet when that happened. So with um, so it's once a week. It originally I believe it was five days originally, and then they cut it back to two full days and two half days mm -hmm. instead of it was half full, full, full half. They got rid of one of the full days, which was much better because I feel like by the end of camp, you know, they're worn out. These athletes give everything while they're there, you know, and they, they're not going hundred percent all the time, but it need to get, needed to give the appearance that they were going hundred percent all of the time, which is exhausting. You know, it's stressful in, in that situation. And especially if it were like a verification camp for an assignment, you know, yeah. that's what these athletes have been working for their whole lives and they don't want to mess up. So they're dealing with the physical strains or dealing with the emotional strains. Now, what Simone and I was really, really lucky for us is that we lived 45 minutes away from the ranch. So it was an easy travel day for us. We mm -hmm. were home before everybody else was to the airport. Right. So, you know, and when um, you get assignments, you're at camp for a week before you go usually, and then you're gone for at least 10 days yeah. if you're going internationally. When we uh, went to the Rio Olympics, we were gone from home for six weeks wow. because we had a verification camp and then we had a camp, 
you know, we had the team camp and then we left and then we were there. So, um, and then on the way back, we went to New York. It, that was just a couple of days added on before we got back home. Mm -hmm. But still, you know, it was a long trip. So if you have a family, it's puts a lot of strain on them. Now, luckily, my husband kind of knew what he was getting into when we got married. He knew that I was a coach. He knew that my schedule was kind of crazy. Obviously, it got more complicated as we had kids. But my mother also lived with us, so she was a huge help in raising the kids while I was gone. And, you know, they she still remains a big part of their lives because of that. Now, mm -hmm. she probably resented a little bit because she didn't get the opportunity to be a grandma so much because she was filling in the mom role when I gotcha. was Gotcha. She couldn't so, spoil them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now, now that she doesn't live with us, she definitely tries to spoil them more and, you know, give them what they want and that kind yep. of thing. But two of them are adults now. So, but oh you know, that, yeah, having that strain and young children, I mean, like there were situations that, you know, trying to think of how many pregnancies, you know, happened during camp that the coaches were just like, yeah, I'll give birth here at the ranch. It's fine. When you think about that and you think about that sacrifice, you think it's all worth it. But like you said, the glitz and the glam is not really what it is, because when it's over, it's just over. There's not really anything that happens after that. And then you're just back to starting over again. And when when you were stepping away from, I don't know if it was coaching in general or just mm -hmm. coaching Simone and you moved, was that a decision that you had planned way beforehand that you were going to fulfill this this chunk of time and then walk away or were you burned out? What happened there? Well, I was definitely burned out. Um, so I love the elite world. I love the travel. I love the meeting new people. I don't mind being away from home, like personality wise. So that doesn't bother me. I'm not really a homebody. Um, I'm kind of like a gypsy. We've we've lived in Florida for six years. We've already moved three times. <laughs> okay. So we're still in the same area, but we're like, no, let's get that house. Let's get that house. Right. So we just pick up and we move. And as long as we're all together, we don't care where we are. Oh, like that's kind of how we feel. So um, moving to Florida was, for some reason, I always wanted to live in Florida. Mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't want to stay in Houston. I had been in Houston for 21 years. Um, and when I moved to Houston, I was only supposed to be there for a couple of years. And then I was comfortable and I stayed and I met my husband, mm -hmm. we got married, we had some kids, met Simone. And then it got to the point, it's like, okay, well, we will see this through the Olympics, mm -hmm. but we didn't really know what we were going to do. And then my husband got a great job offer. I got a business opportunity here. Uh, and we just, we decided to make it happen, make the move happen. And our kids were fine with it. And so I didn't step away from coaching completely, but I went back to, you know, kind of starting up a program again. Mm -hmm. and going from there. Now, in the three years of being here, I did get burnt out. You know, yeah. it, it's there is a definite um, emotional switch that goes from doing elite to doing club, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it can be hard to shift your brain the other way. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like a physical reaction. Okay. And it's hmm. yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It's just different. Well, actually, the biggest thing that happened to me that became a huge stressor is that I had been Simone Biles coach 
And therefore, everybody thought that I could turn their child into Simone Biles. Right. Well, you just take your magic wand and go, boom, exactly. there you go. Because it's so, you know, that that's easy. how it happens. Yeah. It has so, nothing to do with genetics and timing. And uh, yeah. Just, right. There's so many things that go into becoming yeah. an elite athlete and then to becoming a world champion, an Olympic champion athlete. It, there's so many things that any one of those things missing can throw you off track. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. for Simone and I, the stars aligned, yep. you know, and it wasn't always an easy journey. And there were tests along the way, but we were able to navigate it and get to that point where we needed to be. But parents think that, well, I shouldn't say all parents. I think some parents are realistic, but many parents just think, like you said, there's a magic wand. Yep. And yes, I can teach any skill technically. Yes, I can motivate your child. Yes, I can uplift your child. Mm -hmm. But that's this much of the big picture that it takes to get to that level. So having people come and leave their gyms, leave their families. I mean, I had several families that split up. Wow. Half the family staying where they were living and then half the family moving to Sarasota because they wanted me to coach. And that adds another emotional level to where yeah. they have more invested. And so the pressure just became greater and greater on me. And there's only so much I can do as a coach. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I got to the point where I was just like, it's really I'm not loving this anymore. And if I don't love it, yeah. why should I do it? Which is a good lesson to other people. You know, like if you're having a bad day, you work through it. But when you have bad day after bad day after bad day and you dread going into work, then maybe it's not what you should be doing in that moment. Doesn't mean you can never go back. It just means that maybe you need to step away and take a different avenue with this career. You know, it's really interesting because the the story that you're telling sounds very much so like an athlete who does gymnastics for fun. And then when it starts, they start to get recognized as talented or good, the pressure builds and it doesn't feel good anymore. And that brings me to wondering about your journey with Simone. Now, before I get into this, did you have elites before her that you coached? No, I did not have any elites okay. before. So it was it was kind of us both learning together in mm -hmm. that which you know was good it was good for both of us because it allowed us to grow it wasn't like either one of us had to have all the answers like i didn't have to have the answers and force her to this is what we're doing yeah. this is how we have to do it we were like well let's just do it our own way you know what are they yep. going to do you know it did get to the point where we were like what are they going to do kick you off the team Right. I mean, we did sit in that position. I mean, but it's a real thing. Yep. Like yep. at the beginning, it wasn't that way. We would have been booted like that. There was plenty of talent on the national team, mm -hmm. plenty of athletes who could have been elevated to that status, you know, and then it got to the point where, you know, after your third world championship win, it was kind of like, we're going to do what we wanted to do. <laughs> I love that. And and I actually have that written down here as not to get too off track from the original question, but you know, when you're talking about verifications and training camps and this and that, and there was a point where she was not on the national team, but was there and you realized this is not mentally, emotionally healthy for her. We're not going. Then she became a national team member, things evolved. And that's what I wanted to know. Was there ever a point, even with things like verifications that you just felt like we don't need to do this? Um, never to skip a full verification, but okay. like, um, 
At camp in general, if uh, your athlete had an injury, this wasn't just Simone, but if your athlete had an injury that, you know, say somebody had an elbow injury and they were healing from, they just wouldn't verify bars, you know, like whatever hurt them, they just said, I'm not verifying, or I'll just show you what I can do. You mm -hmm. know, so I know that people think that it was very much like, you must show full routines every time you go to camp. It wasn't like that. And I'm not saying that things at camp were great, you know, so I don't want anybody coming at me. Don't at me. <laughs> but there were situations where a coach could say, this is not, they're not going to do this, you know? And there were even times when Marta would say, she's not doing another bar routine. And I'd be like, no, her shoulder's bothering her. She's not doing another bar routine. But you don't feel like that was because of where you and her had gotten to? Like, do you feel uh, like everybody had the the freedom and the ability to say that without retaliation of not getting put on teams that maybe actually deserve to be on? I don't. I think at the end, it was definitely, uh, you know, something we had earned, I guess. But at the beginning, you know, I would have said the same thing at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I did sometimes, you know, like she tweaked her ankle. She's not going to vault today. Mm -hmm. She'll do go condition. She'll do extra flexibility. There's other things she needs to work on. Right. Vault is not one of them. So we're <laughs> no. going to take this time off of vault, you know, and, yep. and the staff wasn't happy about it, but what yeah. were they going to do? Really? Right. What were they going to do? Right. And I think that coaches, young coaches need to understand that they do have power. I know it's intimidating to be in front of a staff and you're always trying to think of what the best decision for your athletes is, but the best decision for your athlete is your athlete's health paramount. Number one, no matter what. So that's what you have to go to. Perfectly said. So going back to this feeling pressure as a coach because you had accomplished so much, and as you said, the stars aligned, which was part of that all happening. When you were on this journey with her, do you think that it was um, a huge asset to you guys to not have that expectation at first? Like for her to be your first elite, did you just feel like, it is what it is and nobody's expecting us to do anything out of the ordinary and that's how you did yeah yeah absolutely i mean it, it definitely kept pressure away from us in the beginning the first competition we were at after we were not invited back to camp you know marta came up when i was stretching simone and warm up and she was like how are you doing today and i was like we're great she's great and then marta said well isn't that being a little optimistic and i said shouldn't we be optimistic for our athletes and Good she was like, you. well, we'll see. And she walked away. And then Simone won the meet. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's yeah. Like, yeah, I know my athlete. I know what she's done. And if she doesn't win, that's okay. You know, we've prepared the best we could. And we did it without being at camp. You know, so yeah. I understand that that was the slap on the wrist that she wanted to say, well, like, you didn't come to camp. So she wasn't. The camp that we were not invited back to ended up being, um, uh, verification camp to go to Italy. Okay. And so there were girls on that team that Simone had been scoring higher than that were put on national team. But, but since, since Simone wasn't at that camp, right. she right. was not put on national team. So, you know, she knew that if she wanted to be on national team, she had to earn it through competition at, mm -hmm. you know, actually on the big stage. Right. Which I think was good for her. Yeah, that's great. Now, when that decision was made not to not to go to camp, was that you or was that you two together? Like, was that a situation of you kind of knowing what she needed because she was a lot younger at that point? And was she wanting to be there and you said, no, this isn't the right choice? Or did you guys come to that together? 
No, she was really, um, so the, let's see, if I remember the events correctly, she had been at a developmental camp and mm -hmm. she had done great. Like, I mean, it was a fantastic camp. And then she had been invited to national team camp for a training and she didn't do so hot, you mm -hmm. know, and that's okay because she had just done that. And the next camp she went back to, I think, actually, maybe she didn't do the national team. I don't know. It all blurs together. <laughs> but the next camp she went to was um, another developmental camp. And all of the staff on the individual events praised her. And they're like, Simone, you're doing so much better. I see this improvement. I see this improvement. And then Marta came over and it just wasn't good enough. And Marta ripped her a new one, you know, and mm -hmm. It was really all we could do in that moment was like stand there and just listen to what she had to say. And when she walked away, we're like, okay, let it go. You know what you've done. You know the improvements you've made. But Simone was crushed because she was like, had been lifted up and felt like, okay, I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing. And then, but she wasn't getting, it wasn't even that she wasn't getting Marta's approval. She was getting Marta's disapproval. Right. And right. so it had a huge impact on her. And so the next camp that she was invited to was three weeks later. And I was like, there's no way she's not going to have time to emotionally prepare, recover and prepare to get Marta's approval. And I was afraid that it would send her, she'd be done. Yep. If she, if it had happened to her again, if she worked really hard and she was doing the right things, and then she still got this negative response from Marta, she would have been like, I give up. I'm done. I'm not mm -hmm. doing, not doing elite anymore. And so that's where the basis came from. And, you know, it was a, it was a judgment call of mine that I presented to her. We don't have to go, well, we're going to be in trouble. I was like, so what? Then we're in trouble. You're, you've still qualified to classics. Right. So go to classics and do your best. Show them what you can do. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be at camp to make this team. And so it was a decision, you know, I proposed it. She agreed with it. Her parents agreed with it. So it was, you know, there was never a decision made that was my decision. It was always our decision, including her family. Well, on behalf of gymnastics fans everywhere, thank you for <laughs> making that decision. Because <laughs> it definitely had a ripple effect. Right. In all of this time, before you got to the point of, of being able to say, what are they going to do, kick you off the team? Prior to that, right? Did you ever second guess yourself being a new coach? And, and being on the rise with an athlete that was so talented, did you ever think, am I the right person to do this? No, because, um, you know, and I had said this with her to her parents, if you give me the opportunity to stay one step ahead of her, like, mm -hmm. don't just pull her out because I haven't done this before. Give me the opportunity. I will stay one step ahead of her. And if I cannot, then I will help you find the right coach for her because I know her and I know what she can take and what she can't take. And there are some coaches out there that are not right for her, but I will help you find the right coach, you know, and I'm very grateful to the Biles family that they were, Ron and Nellie said, yeah, we'll, we'll trust you. You know, we'll trust you to make that call and be self-aware enough that if it's above you, that you'll help us find somebody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm really grateful to them because they could have just said, no, Amy, you've never done this before. We're going to go to a coach who's done it. Yeah. But because it was just gymnastics still to them. It was a matter of what is best for Simone. Mm -hmm. And the best for Simone was to stay with her coach and stay with her teammates and stay in her gym. Yep, definitely. So you said you, like you said, you know, if you didn't feel like you were in a position to continue doing what you were doing with her, you would have helped her find someone else. How did this transition to, 
to Cecile and Laurent happened? Were you a part of that? No, but I did speak with them. You know, I had already been gone for a year when that mm-hmm. happened and I did talk to them, you know, and they had my, I said, I'll be your biggest cheerleader. You know, I'll be yeah. your biggest fan because at least they knew her, you know, they had a relationship with her prior to, you know, while she was on national team and also with, she had a relationship with their athletes. So she knew what their coaching was like. Okay. And so I definitely felt at ease with it and making that transition happen, you know, and I think that Laurent is a very different coach than I am, but Cecile is much more like me. So anything that might not have worked out with Laurent, Cecile was there to, to make it feel more normal to her, like what her normal was, you know, and slowly create a new normal for somebody, you know, that's the thing, like, Simone was a child when I was bringing her up and into her, you know, young adult years. And then all of a sudden they're dealing with a grown woman who is a, you know, a world traveler, who is an Olympic champion, who's, you know, that's a different person than I dealt with. You know, do I think I could have gotten her to the same place that she is now? Absolutely. You know, because she was already doing the skills, a lot of the skills, not every single one of them, but already doing a lot of the skills that she ended up competing. You know, had we been together for four more years, she would have been competing those. So it's not like I'm like, oh, well, I'm so glad that they took her because they got her further. Right. You know, I think they did what they needed to do to keep her on the track she was on. She was going right. to be on that track regardless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do think that if for the most part, it's been a really good fit. And I've heard you say that before that you know, some of this stuff that that she ended up doing in those the last couple of years that she was competing was stuff that you'd seen in training years before. It was a it was a choice not to compete it because it wasn't necessary at the time. Right. And that was and, her choice, 100 percent Like we laid out all of the skills that she could do and said, is this, do you wanna, do you wanna go out and wow them? And I think her mind literally said, I'm already wowing them, <laughs> you yes, know, like, yes. and, and I can, um, I can win. And I know I can win with the routines I've been doing with the skills mm-hmm. I've been doing that I don't have to think about. Like we did talk about the fact that there's going to be a lot more pressure. There's going to be a lot more media. You're going to be pulled away from the gym to do more things prior to the Olympics. So is putting these new skills in now what's best. And if she had said, I just want to go balls to the wall, let's do it. We would have done it. Okay. You know, and we would have, we would have looked and seen what would still give her the opportunity to win, like not throw anything out there that wasn't going to help her win. Right. Right. But, you know, things that would be safe and that she would be successful doing, but she was like, no, I would rather be comfortable. So how do you feel about the Urchenko double bike? Well, I think it's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's, I think that the brain can only handle so much. And when you're flipping and twisting in so many different directions and times and everything, the the brain can just go, wait a minute, I'm going to take a pause here. And you don't want that pause to happen in a skill. Yeah. Yeah. Watching her do it didn't scare me because, you know, it's like, she knows where she is. She, you know, and I don't think that Laurent and Cecile would have asked her to do things that they were worried that she would get hurt on, you know, mm-hmm. like that she, they knew were dangerous. I mean, gymnastics is dangerous and the things right. someone do, does 
are incredibly dangerous, right. but for Simone, they're not as dangerous. I mean, me right. doing a handstand right now might be dangerous. Or trying to hold frozen meat, apparently, well, and it, laughing. Exactly, because I just fall on the floor, but I don't drop it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Spot so, everyone. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that she she protects herself how she needs to protect herself. And if yeah. she didn't feel like she was on board with doing something, there's no way they could have forced her to do it. Right. I'm sure there were still choices in there and decisions that she made and was like, I can do it. So why shouldn't I? Right. And I support yeah. her for that. And I asked that because it's, you know, when you watch, and this is at any level, watching an, an athlete do something versus watching your athlete or your child do something is very different. When it's your athlete or your child, in my opinion, they seem more vulnerable. You you are more emotionally attached to, you know, their little, um, their strengths and their weaknesses and and their little, uh, why can't I think of the word? What's the word? Your um... idiosyncrasies. Yes, idiosyncrasies. <laughs> so you kind of can see more than somebody that's just watching as a fan or watching as an audience member. And that's why I wanted to ask you that because you watching that historic vault happen, I would think felt a little bit different than anybody. That's you know, it's funny because you compared your athlete to your child. And for me, those are very different because for, I can't watch my children do gymnastics. I mean, they don't do gymnastics, but when they did, right? you know, it's scary. Gymnastics is scary. Like as a parent, I don't know how parents do it. As a coach, I'm not afraid to watch it because I see what they do every day. So yeah, I guess watching her do the double pike made me a little bit more nervous because I haven't seen her train it. I gotcha. haven't seen what her progressions are. I haven't mm -hmm. seen what she does when she knows she's off. It's just that, you know, anticipation of like, yeah. okay, just stay safe. That was, that was always my hope for her. Just yeah. stay safe, you know, yeah. stay healthy, stay safe. So, but then I also had to go back to Simone would never do anything that she didn't feel that she could do. Mm -hmm. Even when she said, like, I'm going to die right now, but I'm going to do it. She still had enough confidence. Like, you don't mean that. Yeah. No, she would say that all the time. She'd be like, video it, because when I die, I at least want people to know that I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have other athletes that you felt like could potentially go go to that level? Now, I know there's people always say there's there's never going to be another Simone. There never was. There never will be. But just as even as far as being a successful elite, like, did you have, uh, I don't know, can you even count them on your hands? Like how many athletes that you had that you still felt like you could, you could do the big, the big show with them? Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple of athletes here, you know, when I came to Evo that were mm -hmm. definitely on that track, you know, and they were, um, they had qualified elite and competed elite and, um, you know, they just, well, one went off to college and the other one just decided to not uh, do gymnastics anymore, you know, because that happens. Like, that's another thing about what you're investing in and what you're requiring these children to do and what your aspirations are for them. One day mm -hmm. they could just be like, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. Yes. Yes. So with that, you know, it's, but yes, I, I have qualified other, other athletes into elite. Um, you know, you trying to remember what you just said, because, oh, about well, the, there'll never be another Simone. Right. I disagree 100%. And I think there were other Simones out there that were overtrained. They mm -hmm. were overpressured. Somebody saw them and saw an amazing talent and pushed them too hard to the point that it wasn't fun anymore. And they're kids. 
you know? So now, now we're seeing a range of older athletes now, which is wonderful. They're making, they have more autonomy. They're making decisions for themselves, you know, all this. So, but historically it's been children Mm -hmm. and they just get to the point where it's not fun anymore. They don't want to do it anymore. Right. Or they have chronic injuries and it forces them to quit. So like how many Simones were there before Simone that got overtrained? How many Simones will there be after Simone? But there are other Simones out there. I mean, it doesn't take away from the magic that she's created in the sport, Mm -hmm. but it's also a good thing for coaches to know, like, don't push that kid too hard. Let it be fun. You know, Simone competed all the way through level 10 before doing elite. So Mm -hmm. it's like, if you can't do level 10, you shouldn't be in the elite program. It's that simple because you're not going to make a national team. Even if next to your name, it says elite, you know, and it goes to college recruiting as well. Yeah. College coaches don't look at the elites that are at the bottom. They're only looking at the elites that are at the top, but you know what else they're looking at? They're looking at the top level tens. So if you're falling in this gap right here, nobody's looking at you. Those top schools aren't looking at you when you really could be, you know, at a final four school, you've missed the opportunity because you just wanted to be called an elite. You wanted to have that title that you did it and you qualified to elite. So it's that, that little fish in a big pond versus big fish in a small pond thing. It is. And, and, you know, with, with doing elite, if you're not going to make national team and travel to represent the U S I don't think it's worth it. I don't because I mean, yeah, for what? <laughs> I just, I just don't think it's worth it. Well, you can train less hours. Yeah. And have, and find success in that smaller pond. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I do think you'll notice that with a lot of athletes who have gone on and done elite and maybe, maybe they did get one, one assignment or whatever. A lot mm-hmm. of them drop back their senior year of high school Yep. to train less hours to have, you know, they want to go to yeah. prom. They want to do all that fun stuff that they've of been course. missing yeah. out on. And, you know, I think that, that's, those are life things that are important. Yes, they're <laughs> once in a lifetime things. I had Lexi Ramler on a couple months ago and it was, she got very emotional and it was it was just so touching to hear. And she was so vulnerable saying that, you know, she did that, she she went elite because that was that was her personality. She wanted that environment. And then she did, she she went back to 10. I hate saying back to 10. I know, it, it sounds, sounds so awful. demeaning, but she returned to 10. And man, her NCAA career has just been phenomenal. But what she had said in her interview, and I think it's at the very, very beginning, I used it as a clip, that it was so hard to be winning everything all the time and then go to that next level and know I'm an elite and I made it and then no reward for working even harder. Yep. So it was just really, really, it was I mean, even in competition, it's like they go out three places. Ooh, yay. That's like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's really no reward. And to hear it from someone like Lexi, to hear her say that, who has done both sides of it. And, and like, she's even saying it's really, you know, like, I'm not saying none of it is worth it. Right. And, and I do think that if you're on that track, you should go for it, but there also needs to be a point where you go, all right, you know, what's the reality of me doing this? Right. So with your, with your athletes that you coached after Simone, or even when, when you're still coaching at the same time, what did you do the same with them? And what did you do differently? Well, my biggest thing was always communication, you know, like that was the, the, 
I guess the cornerstone of my coaching was that I wanted to make sure athletes were always communicating with me and that I was yep. communicating with them. That goes back to the being vulnerable and saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Yeah. You know, that wasn't my intention or, you know, things like that so that they know it's okay to be wrong and to apologize and, you know, to, to just, you know, I have a story from, I've always thought it was funny. One of those weird ones that stuck with me is yep. way back, you know, back in the late 1900s when I was coaching. Oh, um, gosh. Horse <laughs> um, and buggy days. Horse <laughs> and buggy days. I had an athlete who was, she was just an emotional mess and she wasn't normally an emotional kid. So yeah. I was like, what is going on? What is wrong? And she's standing in the corner of the floor. Like she had been falling a lot. She's standing in the corner of the floor. She turns around and she looks at me and she goes, I don't know. I just have my period and I'm a mess. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Do you need a moment? <laughs> because like, for me, I'm one of those yeah. coaches who I'm like, don't cry in the gym. And it's not because you're showing weakness. It's that I just don't want it to affect the vibe of the gym. So go take a moment, take it in the bathroom. When you are ready, come back out. You know, if you're an emotional mess, take it outside. You're not getting kicked out of practice. Sometimes I'll say, do you need to go home? And no, you're not getting kicked out of practice. But if I were feeling the way you look, I would want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also not safe. It's not safe, right? There's many reasons behind it, but like, I, that story has always stuck with me because it was her vulnerability to tell me why she was having a bad day. Sometimes people would come in crying. I broke up with my boyfriend. Okay. Do you need to be here today? They're like, I want to be here today. It's going to distract me from that. And okay, well, you know, you just let me know if the assignment's too much for you today, we can adjust it. You come up to me with, you know, and, and that's another thing about assignments. Assignments are not the 10 commandments. They are not written in stone. They are, this is what our plan is for the day. And if an athlete comes over and says, you know, my knee is really bothering me. Can I only do three of these instead of eight? Okay. Yeah. Like, I think I can handle three and maybe they do one and they're like, no, it hurts. And they come over and mm -hmm. they say, it hurts. Good. Let's skip them today. Is the world going to stop turning? No, no, the world is not going to stop turning. No. And that child is not going to forget how to do gymnastics. I love that. Brian Carey was on and he said that he's one of his hard and fast rules is that all assignments, all training plans are done in pencil. Oh, perfect. <laughs> like, yep, yep. That makes sense. Yep. Like, <laughs> yep. Never mind. <laughs> all right. Are you ready for some videos? Oh, sure. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, I've got another job opportunity for you. Massachusetts Gymnastics Center is looking for a general manager to oversee day-to-day -day operations for its 10,000 square foot location in Pembroke, Massachusetts, located in the South Shore of Boston. This location has very successful preschool, grade school, and Excel team programs. It's one of six locations operated by Massachusetts Gymnastics, the largest operator of gymnastics facilities in Massachusetts. The ideal candidate must have management experience running gymnastics programs, a passion for helping kids, and an ability to lead a great team of professionals. For this role, they offer a very competitive compensation package, including competitive wage, enrollment bonuses, paid time off, health and dental insurance, and for the right candidate, there's an opportunity of ownership. Interested candidates should send resume and cover letter to Leo Duran at massgymnastics.com. Don't worry, I'm gonna spell it out for you. L-E-O-D-O-R-A-N at mass, two S's, gymnastics.com. You want me to do it again? I'll do it again. Leo Duran at massgymnastics.com.
So I've got some bittersweet news for you. Bitter because it's the end of an era, but sweet because there's some new possibilities on the horizon. So 2022 will be the last summer of precision training camps. That doesn't mean the end of precision. In fact, it means a new beginning for precision. We will still continue choreography, workshops and clinics, and we are working to devise even more specialized workshops and clinics and some other stuff too. So if you wanna hop in there and get that experience that you've heard so much about, go to precisionchoreo.com forward slash registration and get yourself registered for a final precision training camp. These training camps are highly focused on coaches' education, and we actually have plenty of gym owners that will send staff strictly for that purpose. And because our mission is to provide education and support to as many coaches as possible, we are allowing coaches to come for free. No minimum amount of athletes that need to be registered. If you are a coach in good standing with a past background check, get yourself over to Precision Camps and soak it all in. We've got camps in Roanoke, Virginia, June 13th to the 16th. In Essex, Vermont, June 20th to the 23rd. In Stoughton, Massachusetts, July 18th to the 21st. In Andover, Massachusetts, July 25th to the 28th. And finally, wrapping up the season will be Ocean State Gymnastics in Rhode Island, August 22nd to 25th. All of these camps are open to competitive athletes of all levels. The final camp in August at Ocean State is the only camp that is dubbed a super camp and open to both women's artistic and men's artistic. So if you want three and a half days filled with technical information on all events, artistry training, judging insight, mental toughness training, injury prevention, and more, you know what I'm going to say. Get yourself registered for Precision Training Camp. All right. Are you ready for some videos? Oh, sure. Are you having fun? I am having fun. Okay, good. Are you having fun? I'm having a blast. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to you, so clearly. I really wanted to try to find videos of you doing gymnastics, but <laughs> couldn't. They didn't have video back then. YouTube did not provide. Oh, <laughs> but I did. I forgot to tell you. So I did talk to your old high school. Oh, really? I did. <laughs> Who did you talk to there? That's weird. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a little lackluster. It was a long time ago. I so graduated in 91. Yeah, uh, so we did some research and there is not one teacher still here from Amy's graduating <laughs> class. <laughs> one of her peers is now a teacher. And this is the quote about her classmate, if that helps. And it's from Brian. Brian Tellis. Brian Tellis. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he's the baseball coach. Oh, that's so. Yeah, he said, I remember that she was a talented gymnast and a great leader on her team. She was also a great person and a lot of fun. Brian Tellis. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. And I didn't think you'd pull that name. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Okay. So here is a quite a moment. This is the 2016 all around finals. We know what happened. I want to know what this makes you think. And. What was going through your mind over there on the sidelines in your red shirt? Uh, I can tell you right now, it's just reminding myself to breathe. <laughs> Very and reminding her to breathe mentally. <laughs> right. I mean, did you feel like this was a shoe-in moment or were you actually nervous? You know, I was, I'm always a little bit nervous about her finishing a routine and staying safe. You know, like that's mm -hmm. the thing, like, okay, just don't get hurt. Just don't get hurt. Like just be able to finish the routine. It's kind of like, you know, in the, um, 
uh, 15 world championships. It was like, I think she needed like a 10 or a 12 to win and she had been scoring 16s. Right. But it was still like, but if she doesn't finish her routine and then I was like, wait, she could probably not finish her routine and get a 12. And still. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, for this, it was, yeah, I, I mean, my heart was definitely pounding. I had a little wooden ring that someone had given me that I was wearing and it was kind of like my knock on wood ring. Oh, and so wow. I remember that I was like twirling it the whole time, you know, like don't assume that things are inevitable. You know, right. it's like, she's got to finish this. She's got to yes. do it. Yes. You know, and then we get to the last tumbling pass and it's like, okay, even if she falls on her butt, she still might be able to win this. She's like, no, nope, I'll just stick it. Why not? I'll just stick it instead. Right. Why? Because I can. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that you. she held it because that's something that we trained, but also like, I really feel like that moment she was, she was soaking it in, you know, she was taking her moment. Mm -hmm. And then here it was, yeah, I mean, like I wanted to be the first one there, but I also didn't want to take anything away from her. And I was really happy for both of them. We couldn't yeah. really see her family there. Mm -hmm. And then here, I can tell you that I'm just kind of standing there like, okay, well, that's it. <laughs> And it's over, you know, like really, I mean, yeah. I know we still had more days of competition, right? but that all around moment was over. And yeah. so there are those feelings of like, okay, well, what now? You know, like I definitely, yeah. I want to, and then I was like, no, stay in the moment, just stay in the moment. Yep. So I always try to be in the moment, which is why I oddly, I don't take a lot of pictures because okay, I try to hold on to the moment in my brain, which mm -hmm. I'm old now, which, so maybe I should have taken more pictures, but you know, there's pictures all over the internet and video and. There is, yes. Yeah. So much of this was captured. Yeah. Well, and you know, like when, during the award ceremony, they have us like sequestered off in the back. Like you can't even, it's not like at championships where you can like stand on the floor and you can watch even at world championships. You know, right. you, you have to, um, you're actually sequestered. So I had to get permission to go to the other side of the arena so I could actually see the award ceremony. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were, were you like, uh, do you know who I am? <laughs> well, and me, oh, I was like, I don't care. I've done this before, you know, and I was like, but I haven't, like, this is my first time and I want to, I want to soak it all in because what if it's my only time, you know, so right. I, I don't take anything for granted. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Definitely changing pace here. Do you remember this? This is back in six or 17, right? Probably. <laughs> it's so funny. Almost none of these kids do gymnastics anymore. Aww. It's it was really cool just the way that this came up. So you guys listening, there's a, a video from Evo of all the kids i mean it looks like you've got little summer camp and rec kids and then you've got boys team and girls team and coaches for a minute and a half straight just showing their love for you and saying happy birthday <laughs> and it came up like right with the 2016 all around win with snow. oh that's funny yeah i think it's really important to just show how many people you've reached and, and touched as well and it doesn't have to be on the olympic stage that's sweet oh that's my baby Oh, <laughs> he's not a baby anymore. He's as tall as me. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great group. And, you know, sometimes I miss the coaching on the day to day, but other times I'm just glad to have the time with my family. 
Because when I stepped away, you know, it was more, what it really came down to is that realization of I'm at work unhappy dealing with parents who are not being nice and I'm doing all this and I'm taking it out of my family and I'm sacrificing time away from my family and it just wasn't worth it anymore. And so I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to take a leave of absence essentially. And, you know, so I left the business and I, interestingly, COVID was shortly after that. And so it was kind of like those two years that we lost it was good because I didn't like lose them business wise because I had stepped away from coaching. Yeah. And I got to spend extra time with my family because my kids were doing homeschool and everything because the schools were shut down. Yeah. And so my experience with the COVID lockdown is very different than some other people's because yeah. I was like, no, I get all this time with my family. It's great. Like I, I got mad at my husband because he was going to work. I was like, but we're all here. Why aren't you here? <laughs> you can work from home. So. <laughs> Yeah. So you went overseas. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. I just want to hear, you know, how that opportunity came about because it did seem as though you were kind of moving in another direction. And then what happened? It was just kind of the cycle of things. I had been home. It was during, it was during COVID lockdown because, um, so my, manager slash partner, uh, LaPrice Williams, she had been in contact with the Netherlands. They were, there was one club there that wanted to bring us out to, you know, do some clinics and stuff. And Mm -hmm. so, but it was during the COVID lockdown. So it was really interesting that we had to get government approval to go to the Netherlands, like Mm -hmm. for them to let us into the country. Yeah. So very weird experiences because we connected in Atlanta and the Atlanta airport, it was completely dead. Like you could count the number of people that passed you. Yeah. It was creepy. We had maybe a total of 50 people on our, you know, intercontinental flight. Yeah. Which was wild. And then when we get there, it was all like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And we had to give present crazy amount of paperwork. We had to quarantine at home for 10 days before we left. We had to test every day. Well, we had to test 24 hours, 48 hours, 24 hours and at the airport before our flight. And then we got there, we had the test. And um, then we had to test twice a week at the gym. So they were very, very careful about everything. And yeah. while we were there, we um, that was in February. And then we got a call for me to come back because all of their coaches were under investigation. All their elite coaches were under investigation. And the Federation said that they would not send any coaches that were under investigation to the Olympics. So they needed somebody who was qualified to take the team to the Olympics. So what was interesting was that some of the coaches were 100% on board. And when I got there, they were like, all right, you're taking my athlete to the Olympics. I want you to work with them. I want you to give them as much knowledge as you have, Mm -hmm. support them. We can communicate. We'll talk about what their needs are. Some coaches were amazing about that. Other coaches were literally do not speak unless spoken to. I mean, I was told, don't talk to my athletes unless they come up to ask you a question. And these are the athletes who were going to be there without their coach. So like, don't you think there should have been some kind of relationship? I would think so. Yeah. So I just tried to have a friendly relationship. We didn't talk a lot of gymnastics with those athletes, you know, more just trying to figure out, learn who they were. And, you know, so if anything did come up. So um, mm-hmm. while I was there, while I was in, because I ended up being in the Netherlands for four months, mm-hmm. 
And um, what was great was my family got to come out. My boys, two of my boys stayed with me for two months. That's awesome. And my husband kind of went back and forth. And then my oldest mm -hmm. stayed here. He was working. So the two younger ones were with me. So they got that opportunity. But in that time, I got to go to European championships, which was cool because I'd never been to Europeans. Really? Yeah. Well, no. Why would I go to Europeans? But no, but like you hadn't been to, I don't know, to watch. I just feel like you would have ended no. up at every major you know, competition I keep for, wheels for a living right it's, <laughs> you don't make a lot of money doing that you can't just like flit off to europe <laughs> all right all right it's expensive <laughs> <laughs> so anyway but in, in uh worlds was in i'm sorry europeans was in switzerland and the only people at the competition viewing were the delegations so then went back to holland trained with the athletes for a couple of months and then took them to uh to tokyo and uh, I was not a coach on the floor in Tokyo. Right. Uh, part of that was by choice. Well, actually, it was all by choice. Um, okay. Just because there were some reasons. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, it was it was by choice that I wasn't okay. on the floor. But what I did in the stand was I would judge in the stand and make sure their start values were correct. Mm -hmm. Which it's really good I did because when he thought I went on beam, they had her start value off by a full point. No. Yes. Oh. And and she, you know. She ended up being the alternate for um, the all around, but she didn't actually um, had had we not inquired on that score. And I don't know how they could have possibly been off. It didn't go up a full point, but it did go up significantly. Jeez. So, you know, and when it, the Dutch do a lot of turns, they do a lot of pirouettes, they do a yep. lot of twisting and they don't always get credit for it. Yeah. So I can see, but to be off by a point, a point well, if you're yeah. off by two tenths, I'll be like, okay, I see it. Yep. But a full point was kind of crazy. Anyway, so that was my job in the stands mm -hmm. while I was there. And then I would work with them while we were in Tokyo. I was Ithora's like personal coach mm -hmm. because her coach wasn't there. And Patrick yep. was one of the coaches that said, please, you know, I want her to do her best and I'm not going to be there. So please take, take care of her. Yeah. So I was kind of her personal coach during training with that. Mm -hmm. So that was good. And then from Tokyo, I flew home and spend a couple months at home and then about a week before world championships i get a call from the federation that says can you meet us in japan the coaches still haven't been cleared wow <laughs> so japan when i went for world championships that was a little bit different experience it was a different team and all of the coaches were like yes take the athletes like yep help them do whatever you can mm -hmm. so now again the youngest person on that team was 19. Okay. So 19 to 27, I think were their ages. Yes. So I put out a lesson. This is what the goal of the day is. I sent it out to them prior. How do you feel about this? They're like, well, what about blah, 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 blah. And I would say, well, blah, 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 blah. Like this is the explanation for this is the reasoning yep. for this. And then once they understood the reasoning, they were like, oh, okay, that's fine. And like, I had an athlete who said, you know, I, I really don't like to train the day before competition. I'm not used to it. So I'm not going to go into the gym that day because I'm competing the next day. And I was like, okay, that's your choice. But what are you going to do? Like, are you going to spend extra time with the physical therapist? Are you going to do extra stretching? Do you just like need to lay around and sleep all day and conserve your energy? And she was like, well, no. And I was like, well, then why don't you just come to the gym with us? You don't have to train. Just come to the gym with us. And she said, okay, I'll go to the gym. She went, she stretched, she talked, she did some skills. Like it's so much better than just sitting in a hotel room mm -hmm. when you're locked down, you know, like yeah. you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. And so just getting her out of the hotel, 
but also because she had expressed to me, this is what I normally do. And this is how I like to prep myself right. for competition. She felt it was okay to tell me that. And I was able to make her understand, well, there's probably a better solution than you just staying in the hotel. Right. Yeah. And it worked On out well. Ground. That's yep, great. The middle ground. And it worked out well. So yeah. it worked out really well for her. She had a great competition. So, you know. Every country has got their thing, their strengths, their weaknesses, their style, their lack of style, whatever you want to call it. When you started working with that team, did you have to go and kind of like, did you have any sort of paradigm shift as far as you know, what you would normally tackle first or how your approaches were because this is such a, a different group of athletes? Not really a paradigm shift. Uh, technique wise was a little bit tough for me because the way they do some things like the way they vault and I would question, you know, some of the things they were doing on vault and they're like, that's just the way we do it. And I'd be like, yeah, but you're not good vaulters. That's so not an answer. Can... Well, and also like, you're not good vaulters. Like as a country, they're weak right. on vault. Mm -hmm. You know, when their top athletes are just doing fulls, you're not, you know, and, and these are really good athletes. They're strong. Like these women are so amazingly conditioned. They are in amazing shape. Oh, Absolutely. Wow. And so it's like, you should be better at vaulting and tumbling than you are. So it's a technical thing. Yeah. Or it's a, it's a periodization thing to where you're mm -hmm. not building up at the right time. So that was really hard for me with, um, with being with the team in general, especially working up to the Olympics, because they were really set in their ways and they didn't want to change anything. Mm -hmm. Even though I could see what the technical errors were. Yeah. That's yeah, gotta so, be hard. Yeah. So like comments like, well, I didn't do anything with the athletes while she was in Holland. And it's like, well, actually I did what I was allowed to do mm -hmm. because there were, again, some athletes that I wasn't allowed to work with essentially. Yeah. And then there's other athletes that you can look at and who took every bit of information I could give them and tried to apply it, you know? Yeah. So it's really, it really just came down to the athletes, which again is what this should all be about. This isn't yeah. about me. It's about the athletes. It's to me, it's not even about the country. It's about the athletes. And mm -hmm. so if there's a coach who has so much control over their athlete that they tell another coach, don't even talk to my athlete. Like that's a problem, especially when I've been hired by the Federation to help and get to know them and give them mm -hmm. the best experience that they possibly can. Right. And their coach says, don't even talk to them. I mean, there's American coaches that do that too. They're like, don't talk to my athletes. And it's like, why? They're just people. I'm not going to go over and coach your athlete, but why do you think you have to keep them right here? Like you're afraid they're going to leave. Well, if mm -hmm. you're a great coach and you have a great relationship with them, why would they want to leave? Shouldn't matter. Yes, Shouldn't exactly. Matter. Yep, yeah, exactly. Be secure in yourself. <laughs> and for you, it's funny though, because it's not like you're some no name person that got brought over there. Like right. you well, essentially coach the best vaulter in the world. You know, Asana Weavers beat Simone on beam. So they thought I would try to sabotage Sana. Oh my gosh. I know. And I was like, no, no. And that's not me, but you, you wouldn't know that, but still what, how wow. awful are we that we think that, that somebody would come in and do that. That would be a real long drawn out plan for you to get there, right? To get to that one moment where you're with Sana. So Simone could win beam. <laughs> wow. Jeez. <laughs>
This episode is brought to you by Quattro Gymnastics Freedom to Perform. Quattro is a global gymnastics apparel company that specializes in designing high quality apparel that allows gymnasts to look and feel their best while training and competing. The quality of Quattro leotards is second to none. These leotards are engineered for performance and feature the best fabrics and designs to help gymnasts look and feel their best on and off the competition floor. Gymnasts want to train in comfort, and Quattro believes that no gymnast should have to sacrifice comfort for style. Quattro designs come in a wide range of styles, and all the fabrics they use are guaranteed to provide maximum stretch and comfort. Quattro not only has amazing practice tanks, but they do custom team wear as well. Their world-class design team creates fashion-forward apparel at affordable prices, and they charge no upfront fees for custom designs. Oh, and they offer three grades of crystals to accommodate all budget types. I can tell you guys, I've had a great experience with Quattro this year. They are providing our Precision Camp leotards for our final season of camp and the process from designing to redesigning and execution, as well as acquiring the apparel has been really, really great. So check out Quattro at QuattroGymnastics.com. That's Q-U-A-T-R-O Gymnastics.com. Recently, Wendy has sent me videos of their floor choreography at the Swiss national team. Okay. And just asked, you know, where do you think they can improve this and that? And from having a U.S. lens and then looking at that, it's like... You're like, it's perfect. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. You win don't all the change anything. Oh, yeah. But they still don't, they, you know, they don't think it's enough. And, and personally speaking, I think you can always embellish, you can always increase artistry, but just to, it's so funny because if that was being done here, they would be revered as the most artistic gymnast that ever walked this earth where to them, right. it's just kind of natural. So well, and really then even, even, you know, having Wendy call you and say, Hey, what can we do better? Like, that's something I've been put down for is that I've reached out to other coaches and I've said, help me with this. Oh, yeah. I don't know. To me, there's like, you're so arrogant that you think that asking for help is that it's a negative thing. It's a character flaw. To me, it means you're secure enough to ask for help. Exactly. You're secure enough. And also you give the world enough credit to know that nobody's going to believe that you actually do know everything. But yeah, nobody does. And I'm not under the illusion that I know everything. So you know, did I just get lucky? No, I didn't just get lucky. <laughs> I oh, learned. It takes, and it takes I learned a, a lot. Yes. Yeah. How did you feel watching Simone in 2021 pull herself out? Oh, what's the right word? What's the right emotion? So I saw her in the training hall before we went in. And because we were just watching that day yeah. and I saw her in the training hall and she had a look in her eyes that wasn't like hmm. normal, calm or hyped up Simone. There was something different in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, OK, well, maybe she just saw me and is like, oh, well, thanks for leaving me, bitch. <laughs> but, <laughs> because sometimes I wonder if she thinks that. Oh. But um, then when I saw her in warm up. And I was sitting at the end of the vault runway. So I, okay. but I could even tell from her run that something wasn't right. Wow. And then what she did in competition, she had done the exact same thing in warm up. And so I was actually surprised that she competed at all because I was, I knew right from that moment, from her run, 
that something wasn't right. And then once she hit the table, I was like, she got the twisties. Like I could see it, wow. but that's just because I've known her so yeah. long, yeah. you know, that I could see that the process that she was going through, you know, and it was one of those moments that I truly, when she went to compete, I was truly nervous for her yeah. because I didn't know what was going to happen, you know, in one bad fall, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it, it could end your life with the skills that she's doing. So right. when she stepped out and when she officially withdrew herself, I was actually grateful that she chose that path Mm -hmm. because she knew, yeah, this could end my life if, you know, one wrong move. And she knew that her safety was more important than a medal or having her name in the record books, more in the record books. More, yeah. But she also knew that, you know, people say she quit on her team. No, actually when she pulled out, she also pulled out knowing that the team would not meddle with her in it because she wouldn't be able to finish her routines. Right. Right. So to me, that was a very selfless act. Yes. You know, I could go out there and try and maybe get it together, but it's unlikely. Like she knows herself well enough, but the fact that she said, listen, it's time for, you know, the, the alternates in these positions to step up. You're fine. You've got it. She was, I don't know what they showed on TV, but watching her in the arena, she was such a good cheerleader and pumping everybody up and really like, you got this, you got to believe in yourself. I know you didn't warm up why they didn't warm up. I don't know. Like you always warm up your alternates. There's even time for them to warm up, but, um, you know, like you got this, this is what you train to do. You can do this in your sleep. So you could see that she was doing that and cheering loudly for them and their routines and somebody who's selfish, she wouldn't even come back out on the floor. I mean, she technically had scratched the rest of the meat. Right. So, so she could have just gone and moped in the locker room, but she didn't, she came out and she was a great team player Mm -hmm. and supported everybody that was there. And I think that her team recognized that and they appreciated her being there and her them that she believed in them. Yep. And those that try to say it was nerves, she couldn't handle the pressure. No, it wasn't nerves. And if you've been doing this her whole life. Yeah. And I've said this many times, like, I look at it as if you're on a flight and the captain says that he's been struck with sudden blindness. Do you, are you going to tell him, well, well, you're here, you're supposed to fly the plane. That's your job. No, you step aside, you give the second command command and everybody survives. Yeah. Yeah. I did actually in a recent podcast, I had mentioned something very similar to that, but I compared it to a NASCAR driver, you know, like when people are like, well, the twisties aren't a real thing. And I was like, imagine that you're, you know, a NASCAR driver and you're whipping around that track and suddenly you go blind. Mm-hmm. You don't know where you are. Like, that's what happens when you have the twisties. You are completely lost. And, and every gymnast knows what that means. And the only people that are trying to blame it on anything else can't go upside down and flip and land on their feet. Right. So they can shut so up. shut the hell up. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I have a sorority sister who actually, she listened to the podcast and she's like, you explained it perfectly. She was a diver. Mm-hmm. And it's the same. Any, anybody yes. that does aerial skills. Yes. Any aerial acrobatics. They're like, you, you nailed it. It's like being completely lost. Yep. Yep. And if you don't do it, if you've never gone upside down flipping, you, you don't even deserve to have an input. So sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Keep it to exactly. yourself. Exactly. <laughs> do you feel like that could have been different if that had been a quad earlier? No, she would have walked out. I would have said, are you all right? Like, do we need to scratch this? And mm-hmm. if she says, if she were to say, well, Marta will be mad. Like I'm freaked out, but Marta will be mad. I would say so. Yeah. So what? Like, are do you feel safe enough to do this? Right. 
you know, and if she would have said no, I mean, she she knew she had that opportunity to say no. And since we had set the precedent of telling Marta no in the past. Yeah. You know, yep. I think she would have had that power to do that, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously she felt comfortable enough with Cecile and Laurent to say, I can't do this. I'm done. Like, it's not safe. Yep. So, you know, I hope some of that is what I instilled in her when she was younger to know that she had a voice. But not only that, she had to have that relationship with them to be able to right. say Yep. So. I would definitely give you a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of that because kids do. I mean, they they maybe they don't remember exact things you said, but they remember how you made them feel. Right. They remember situations. They they start to react to things that they've been shown a reaction to over and over again. So I think it's absolutely safe to say that, you know, you're you're a part of instilling that empowerment in her and other athletes. And that's gonna be a snowball effect in a really good way um, with other athletes down the road. So. Well, and I hope to instill it in coaches as well, because then other coaches can hand that gift on to other athletes and talk about a snowball. Yes. <laughs> and you can be successful and not be an asshole. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> That's your next book title. <laughs> hey, stop being All right. Well, I'm going to have a lot of bleeps in this episode, but that's okay. Thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything that you want to share with people as far as how they can follow you or connect with you? Well, they can certainly follow me. I've got, um, I think on Twitter and on, I think Facebook, my, my, my business Facebook are both at Salto underscore coach. And then on Instagram, it's at Salter Coach all together. Perfect. Okay. So, I'll put that in the show notes. I need to post more. I know, but you know. Yeah. Can you get with <laughs> it, please? Well, you know, here's my thing about social media. Uh, I've always been really good with it. And then, and I also read what people post about me and people are like, you shouldn't do that. Well, no, I want to know what people are saying about me because I, I don't know. I guess I've just always been that person, but the dangers of it you know, and, and the way it's affecting our youth. And I know it's not going to go away, but we have to find a way as a society to make them understand that what's on social media is not real life mm -hmm. is, is really a challenge because I do think it's messing, it's messing with our youth right. and our future. We could just simplify it like your coaching style. Just don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. Wouldn't that be easy? That social media. <laughs> don't be an asshole. The more you know. And my last question for you, I ask all my guests is, when I say the word joy, what does that make you think? Oh, joy. Um, the word joy brings a smile to my face and it, and it lifts my heart right here. Like I feel it in my chest. And so I don't know if it actually makes me think of anything in particular, but I guess the first thing that pops into my head is my children. So, you know, and I have sacrificed and I've missed out on some things with them, but I feel like maybe they won't hate me their whole lives. <laughs> like <laughs> you, you can, you can go back and you can apologize and you can say, I might've missed this, but I'm going to do better. And, you know, I know that I have a loving, supportive family all around. And so that just brings me joy in my life. You know, I have abundance in my life, so I can't ask for anything else. That's joy. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing so much and being so open. I really appreciate it. And I know that you're going to affect even more people just from your words today. So thank you. Well, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on.
but I'm glad I bugged you for a few months there. <laughs> All right. I will talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Amy, thank you so much for being my very special guest for this very special episode. And thank you guys for helping me get to this point to reach number 50. It's still kind of surreal. Hey, and remember, if you're going to be in Tampa for championships, block out some time at five o'clock on Friday before the women's session for a very special What Makes You Think event. Details are coming soon. Make sure you're following me on social media so you can find out exactly what's happening. I am on Facebook and Instagram at Nicole Langevin Consultant and also on Twitter at YouThinkPod. If you would like to send me a direct email, you can do so at n langevin pro at gmail.com again that's n-l-a-n-g-e-v-i-n pro at gmail.com we'll be back next week with a mini-sode until then keep thinking outside the box bye